Hello and welcome to Hyperactive Imagination, a high voltage channel for creativity. I'm your host, Anita Steubenraw. I'm an ex-Apple creative running an agency called Cause Effect Creative. I'm also building an event and retreat space called The Land of Make and Believe. And I'm hosting this show where we engage with high voltage humans, ideas, and expression. High voltage energy can be illuminating. It can be dangerous. And sometimes it can inexplicably go to ground. Together, we'll explore these extremes and everything in between as we pursue what it means to live, work, and thrive as creative beings. Today, we're talking to Ian Mackay. Ian Mackay is a C3 quadriplegic out of Port Angeles, Washington. He is a big fan of getting outside and runs a nonprofit called Ian's Ride that advocates for a more accessible outdoors. He has ridden his wheelchair across the state of Washington on two different occasions and is an active public speaker. He hosts three different paralysis-based support groups every month and is proud board member of the Here and Now Project. He's also very passionate about getting those with mobility impairments access to technology. He consults for Apple, provides in-person demos for recent spinal cord injury survivors, and is on several tech-based advisory boards. In addition, he recently broke the Guinness Book of World Records for the furthest distance traveled in 24 hours in a mouth-controlled power wheelchair. His philosophy is that living with paralysis is difficult, doing it alone is near impossible, community is the answer, we are stronger together, and nature is the best medicine. Just from Ian's bio, you are probably starting to get the sense that while Ian may be physically paralyzed, he is an unstoppable human being. His energy, ideas, and actions move those around him and create movements around him. So excited to get into this conversation with you, Ian. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Nita. I'm excited to be here. When we think about high-voltage moments, there are some events in our lives that are so profoundly life-changing that we effectively create this kind of pre- and post-timeline in our minds. Do you have that kind of framing for the accident that caused your C3 quadriplegia? Yeah, there's no doubt about that, right? When I think about my life, it is. It's totally pre-injury and, and post-injury. June 4th, 2008, that was the day. That big changing point. Just to, to give you kind of an idea of what that was like, I was 26 years old. I'm going to college at UC Santa Cruz. And you have so many plans, ambitions, goals, and everything can kind of change in the blink of an eye. And that's exactly what happened on that day. I was just riding my bicycle home from college and was going a bit fast, but I hit some sand in the bike path and lost control, went headfirst into a tree. And that's how I sustained my spinal cord injury. We all just kind of plan our lives. We all think, all right, here is what I really want to get done in the next year, or here's our next five-year goal. But when those just get completely wiped off the slate and you have to really start thinking, oh man, I no longer can even breathe. I was vent dependent for a year. How am I supposed to do field work in Costa Rica? <laughs> That's just not going to happen anymore. The next thing you do is you really just start thinking, okay, what can I do? And at that time, I was in a really dark, dark place and uh, didn't see a lot of hope, didn't see a lot of future, didn't know what I could do with such limited mobility. 
Could you describe a bit about what was going through your mind at the time? Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, first off, I mean, I, I, I remember when I hit that tree, I never really lost consciousness. And I remember laying there, and I remember looking up through the tree into the sky, and the biology was my background. I realized most likely I couldn't feel or move much of anything, and it was likely a spinal cord injury. There was a woman that I asked on the trail to call 911, but it was really tranquil at that moment. I mean, it was just peace. I wasn't regretting what I had done. I wasn't really thinking about what the coming days are going to be like. It was really in the moment. I was really kind of focused on why I wasn't able to move and why I couldn't feel. But there wasn't so much fear and there wasn't so much concern. It was just kind of maybe a momentary acceptance. Now, how did I feel over the next three months when I was in rehab, learning how to be a paralyzed man? It was a roller coaster. In the beginning, the first few, maybe five, six, seven days, having friends, just a stream of friends coming into the hospital and such support and such overwhelming love and really, really feeling that. But soon I got overwhelmed and I didn't want to see people. I didn't want to really have the conversation of what had happened. I was having some really psychological challenges of what I had become. I think many of us really define ourselves internally by our physicalness and what we can do as a physical person. And when we no longer have that as an identity, you know, it can really be hard to wrap your mind around. I quickly shut down this stream of visitors and really wanted only a certain energy in that room, in that hospital space. Anyone that was calm and quiet and did not want to, you know, be too jovial because I wasn't in a place to feel that happiness at that time. Yeah. I think culturally, we too often jump right to the happily ever after part of difficult stories. And I understand why, I understand the impulse, but if we gloss over that chapter, the after can be hard to relate to, especially for anyone going through a difficult time in the present. Without getting to those really lows, without hitting those bottoms, I think it's really hard to recognize when you have some really ups, when you have some really high moments. I certainly try to think back when I'm down in the dumps or when I'm having any trouble of where I've came from and where I am now and really try to recognize that growth and kind of use that to motivate me. What stories could you share or advice could you offer for anyone who's struggling to see even the potential for hope in a present situation? And this could be an injury. You know, this could be maybe a heavy loss in your life. But often we take a challenge that comes in our lives and we might say, all right, maybe the direction I'm going is not good or, you know, my interests aren't applicable to myself now. Let me get to a very realistic one for me. The first three years after I was hurt, I tried to redefine who I was. I spent so much time watching Andy Griffith's show and I Love Lucy and playing video games and thinking, you know, that was it. I was going to be on a computer screen for the rest of my life and I better get good at it. I did that for three years and I was miserable. That wasn't who I was. It wasn't what I loved. It was just trying to adapt to a situation when instead I finally started going outside. I started going out on the Olympic Discovery Trail right near my house and I started to 
experience the passions before my injury in just a different way. And I think that's really important to focus in on your core self and don't let that get lost in the way. I really did try to kind of reinvent myself and that was a mistake when I should have just been trying to find ways to reconnect with the things I love in just a different way. That really resonates with me in different situations that I've been in in my own life. This idea of adapting to the constraints that are presented as you perceive them versus reconnecting with what really drives you, what really moves you. And there's something about that brightness that allows you to start to knit paths into the things that you love, even if the most familiar one isn't available to you. Yeah. And really, I think no matter how monumental the obstacle can seem, like here's me, I couldn't breathe, right? I couldn't move anything below my neck. Still, those barriers were more between my ears than they were a physical barrier. I just needed to wrap my head around what is important and then just finding ways to pursue that. I know you're very involved in peer support and mentoring for people with mobility impairments. Can you describe what that experience does for you energetically? Of course. Well, before I can even get into that, I have to mention that I am where I am today because of the peer support I received when I was recently injured. And there was a few individuals that I crossed paths with in those first few years. Todd Stoppelfeld is one, Scott Martin is one, Kenny Salvini is another. Seeing people who, who were happy, who had been dealing with paralysis and had come through the difficult challenge that I had and come out the other side in this very optimistic outlook and having a successful job and having these wonderful relationships, it made me realize that I still had a lot to offer and that I needed to get off my butt and start, you know, figuring out my own life. But since then, I recognize how much they helped me and it's been awesome to give back and to be involved in this peer support world. I don't know, it was probably eight, nine years ago, I started my first little meeting at a local senior center and nobody came probably for like the first year. I felt like I went and sat in those rooms every month alone, but I was going to be there because you know I knew someone would come eventually and eventually they did and numbers started to grow and then we added another group in another area and Sure, I've shared my wisdom with a lot of people, but I get just as much out of talking with them, and they always have something to give me, and the energy that I receive from that is hard to quantify because, I mean, it just fills me up. It's the only way to describe it. And then even beyond that is doing mentoring to the youth that are recently paralyzed because I'm trying to do all I can to help technology develop so that you know the people that come after me are going to have an easier time than I did so that we have as much accessible outdoors as possible. But I can only do this for so long and we need this new generation to be kicking butt too. And so, you know, to be able to encourage those and mentor those and provide others the tools so that they can trailblaze in the future and make a better future for others with spinal cord injuries and paralysis down the road. It means a lot and it feels like I'm actually making a difference. And I think that's what life's all about. You mentioned that you and your friends often divide and conquer 
the testing of new technology, and you described yourselves as penguins. Can you tell me more about that? Often, technology is expensive. Trying out new tech and trying to learn it all is time-consuming. There's so much new stuff coming out all the time, and some of it could be so valuable. could be this new tool that would open up independence in my life. But I can't try them all. And so me and my friends, we often will divide them up and say, okay, you check this one out and then we'll all come back and we'll talk about what works and what doesn't. But we joke about that we're like penguins because none of us want to be that first penguin off the iceberg (laughs) because, you know, those leopard seals are scary. But we all have to be at one time. But it's nice to be able to share that between the community and then... We can all benefit by not trying the duds and really going after the winners out there. Can you talk a little bit about the technology you're using right now and that you use from day to day and what it costs? Right. I'm using a mouse to interact with my computer to talk with you today, and it's nearly $2,000 for a mouse. That's difficult. and That's out of range for a lot of people. And anything we can do to drive that price down awesome. And, you know, luckily, things like home accessibility, like having a smart home, very much out of reach for me 10, 15 years ago. But I'm so fortunate that we have so many lazy Americans that want to turn lights on from their couch or turn their fan off from their recliner, that those are driving the price down for adaptive technology that makes my life independent. Well, as a lazy American who definitely turns lights on and off from my couch and fans on and off from a recliner, you're welcome. Well, thank you. Big thanks to you, Anita. What are you doing now that the Ian in the hospital bed couldn't have imagined? Even five years after that dark place, where I'd gotten to a much lighter place, I couldn't imagine some of the things that I've been able to do now. But at the same time, it was when I was at that darkest place and seeing Todd Stobblefeld in particular, a peer mentor of mine who was paralyzed at a young age and really navigated the paralyzed world in an amazing way. Seeing him living alone, taking a ferry to Seattle every day to work and doing amazing things was one big thing that pulled me out of that dark space. To see what others can do is extremely motivating. And I hope, I hope that I'm able to be a little bit of a light for some people that are in a dark space right now, because it was others that got me out of there. And if I can ever give that back, that means the world to me. Quick commercial break to keep the lights on and energy strong. Cause Effect Creative helps brands express visionary ideas with poetic power. If you need help turning your reasons for being into reasons to believe, contact me at causeeffectcreative.com. Meanwhile, here's something I wrote for Mind Cure Health, a psychedelic startup focused on mental wellness. When ancient meets modern, medicine meets wisdom, helping and healing the human condition. It's what we do when what's been tried isn't true where conventional maps are of no use, when the stakes are all or nothing, and no words express the suffering. Keep status quo or be disrupting. It's not hard to get behind. Beyond effect, there's cause to find. And we've got a cure in mind. If your brand needs a manifesto, let's chat. What were the first steps you started to take to pull you out of 
the darkness. I mentioned earlier that two things really pulled me out, community and the outdoors, the Olympic Discovery Trail in particular. But once I did start exploring, I was going out for 5, 10, 30 miles a day, and I was just feeling so independent. I was feeling so on my own, and I didn't need the help of others, and I could do anything at that point. And I started reaching out to friends. I love the outdoors and cycling before I was injured. And one thing I really loved was bike touring. And I'd gotten the opportunity to do it the summer before I was hurt. And I was really excited to continue that. Unfortunately, paralysis going to stop that dream for the moment. But in 2016, I reached out to my chemistry professor from college, who was a good friend and also a big cyclist. And I said, hey, would you be interested in joining me on a bike tour in a power wheelchair? And so we started planning it out. I live in Port Angeles, Washington. And so I, I jumped on a ferry. We went up to Canada in Victoria and basically rode my wheelchair all the way to Portland. It was 350 miles or something. And it was a way to re-experience that passion that I had before my injury in a different way, but still experience it. I mean, the best thing about bike touring for me was spending long hours on the side of the road with really good friends and, and catching up and talking about our lives or talking about the Americana around us, some giant barn over in a field or big tractors or harvesters going down the road. I mean, those experiences are valuable and character building, if you ask me. I also really enjoy craft beer. And so to be able to stop at a brewery and hang out with your friends and enjoy a cold one after your long day accomplishing your goal. And while we were there, we got to meet some really great people. I got to meet policymakers, mayors. We get to talk about advocacy and infrastructure and how important it is for me to be able to do these kind of things, and it's only because of the bike routes and multi-use trails out there that I can do it. That was just a really neat experience. I got invited to go see the governor after that and talk about infrastructure statewide and do a bunch of public speaking. It was rewarding, but I think the best part is as we're cruising down the state, so many other people in wheelchairs said, hey, do you mind if we ride along for three miles, five miles? And I met so many new friends, and I met like-minded friends that also wanted to be outside. They loved what I was doing, and they were then thinking of ways that they could push their own limits. It got me thinking. And then in 2018, I did another crazy ride from eastern Washington, actually Idaho, all the way to the Pacific, 500 miles, with some really big obstacles, like the Cascades. The Cascades were in the way, and the heat of eastern Washington, I can't regulate my temperature, I can't sweat or shiver if I'm hot or cold, and so managing that and recognizing the importance of friendship and crew and support and... Uh, just seeing that these individuals that have always been really great friends are enabling me to, you know, live my best life and wanting to, again, give back any way I could. More wheelchairs joined me along this ride. And at this point, I had a major recognition that I was privileged. I had access to support. I had a large friend group. I had some financial support from my family. But Others often couldn't do this. It was just out of reach for so many people. So we started this nonprofit in 2016, and in 2019, we started our flagship event, which I'm most proud of, and it's called Sea to Sound, and it's right here on the Olympic Peninsula where I live, and it allows wheelchair users to travel 75 miles over three days along one long trail that's totally isolated and safe, and they can go out there, and they can run their batteries out, they can push their limbs, 
limits. They can go until they stop. And I've got Boy Scouts or like a cross-country team out there ready to push chairs as they run out of batteries and a fleet of wheelchair minivans to grab a, a rider and take them to the next aid station or to a safe space. Ultimately, though, it allows people to push their limits, to go out and have a really good time and feel comfortable and safe doing it. And this will be our fourth year this year. It's a really special event. And seeing the smiles out there, and I know I live in an incredibly beautiful area, but seeing it through the eyes of other people makes it even more spectacular. So those are some of the really neat things that we've done with the nonprofit over the last five or six years. And what's the name of this nonprofit? The name of the nonprofit is Ian's Ride. It's all about making a more accessible outdoors and providing opportunities for people to experience that space. And where can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Iansride.com is where we are on the web. You can also just search Ian's Ride on any of the major social media platforms and we're there. Please check it out because we do some really cool smaller events and I occasionally like to do some big flashy things to show off which I recently did last month. Uh, Yeah, you did a pretty big flashy thing that broke a Guinness Book World Record, making you officially an endurance athlete. Endurance athlete, I know. I'm reluctant to take that title, but thank you. I appreciate it. All right, so after I did that big 2018 ride across Washington State from east to west, I was interested in what people had done out there. What were the records? So what was the furthest trip anyone in a wheelchair had ever done? And so I went online, I looked, I see this man from South Korea that took his wheelchair all the way from the east coast of Asia to the west coast of Europe over 18 months. It's 17,000 miles. It's over mountain ranges and through different seasons of the year. And it was like, okay, this guy is my hero, but there is no way I'm ever going to be able to set aside 18 months to do that. But hey, I am amazed. And so I dove a little further. I said, well, not that record. And next one I came across was the furthest distance traveled in 24 hours in a mouth-controlled power wheelchair. It turns out, of all the power wheelchair records, this is the furthest for the 24 hours. And it's the same guy. It's a South Korean man who's also got the 24-hour record. And Again, I'm like, okay, this guy is my hero. I started wrapping my head around it. At the time, my chair went about seven miles per hour, and I'm doing the math, and I'm thinking, I have no idea how I could even make that work. And do I switch chairs? Do I switch batteries? Do I get a faster chair? I end up applying to Guinness for the guidelines, and they send them back, and I find out I have to use a commercially available unaltered power wheelchair, so I can't put a supercharger V8 on it. So I wasn't going to be able to mm. do some high-speed chair. I wasn't going to have somebody that's going 20 miles per hour and then go take like a nice nap in the middle of the day and then just continue on. It turns out I needed something right. that was stock and factory. I recently had acquired a new chair and it did go about a mile per hour faster. It was all doable. Then I started thinking about, okay, what are the other challenges? Psychologically, it sounds miserable to do anything for 24 hours. And for a high-level quadriplegic like myself, there's going to be a few issues. There's going to be temperature management throughout the night and day. Pressure sores. I mean, that's what killed Christopher Reeves, right? Superman died from a pressure sore. I don't want that to be an issue. And then there's mechanical failure, all sorts 
of things could go wrong in the chair. But we started just checking things off. And psychologically, I needed as much stimulation as I could for that 24 hours. So I called up every friend I could imagine. I needed all the distraction I could get. I needed people to <laughs> regale me with stories and tell me jokes and riddles and sing songs and anything to just keep my mind off of the misery of doing just one thing. And they did. They all showed up and we ultimately succeeded at 184.4 miles in that 24-hour period. And I attribute it entirely to my crew and my team and the support I had. When you have these people that so want you to complete your goal, I felt like I was just being carried along. Not to say that this was easy in any way. I mean, this was by far the most challenging thing I've ever chosen to do, but it was also extremely rewarding. And my girlfriend, Selena Smith, she was out there and she rode the entire 184 miles with me. And she's not a cyclist. She goes out on the trail with me once in a while, but you know, her longest day before was 20 some miles and she just did the entire thing. Also, Dr. B, that chemistry professor that I called so many years before, he was up there and he did every mile with me. And that kind of love, that wow. kind of support also probably led to some like real emotional downs. Didn't realize that I'd have such emotional challenges out there, but at times when your body and your mind are just screaming at you to stop, they're just saying no more, but you do not want to let down all these people that are there to keep you going. And I did not want to let myself down, but there certainly was times when I was emotionally low. And then when I did my next stop, I had to really rally the team and say, hey, I need simulation, guys. We need the songs. We need the riddles. Let's kick it into high gear. Soon, my mind was off of those lows and back to the task at hand and just sitting there laughing and BSing with my friends. But it was a really cool experience. And yeah, now I can't believe I'm a world record holder and 184 miles in a power wheelchair. I'm still amazed. It's incredible. And nothing, you know, in those dark days I could have ever imagined that I would have achieved. I love the idea that the guy in South Korea is going to be looking at the record now and being like, that guy's my hero. (laughs) I don't know. I really want someone to go out and take my record from me. That's why I do this. I want others to go and have their own adventures and give me a reason to think this through again and go out and do it again. One really amusing thing was right before I started, I started at 8 p.m. so we can get the night out of the way first, but I had some friends arrive in chairs and one of them had had some shirts made and it was me and the South Korean man and it said, ride off for 2022. (laughs) We both had really chiseled muscles. I mean, huge muscles. Just funny shot of the two of us with our sip and puff straws and looking really fierce out there. Yeah, for people who don't know how a mouth-powered wheelchair works, can you describe how you actually move? Sure. So yeah, it's called a sip and puff, right? And it's just a straw that goes to my lips. One really nice thing about that straw is I can lift it up and itch my nose (laughs) because I can't itch my face otherwise. But the way that the straw works to drive the chair is by puffing into the straw, I can move the chair forward. But a soft puff or a soft sip goes left or right. So it's really just the amount of pressure I'm putting into the straw that controls the chair. A hard sip is how I go backwards. But a lot of people think that, I don't know, I'm doing something with my tongue or that you know maybe it's an oxygen. But no, it's just kind of how I drive the chair. And yeah, luckily it's got a cruise control feature. So you you can imagine 24 hours would be brutal if I'm, you know, running out of air 
trying to keep this chair moving. But no, once I get it up to full speed, I'm just really controlling the left and right turns. And, and no air is technically moving through the straw. It's just pressure. Just air pressure. Got it. I would imagine it would be very easy to like hyperventilate almost if you were trying to (laughs) push all of that air out over such an extent. You'd like reach an altered state even for that much breathing so intensely. Yeah, there's no way. There's no way I'd made the 1.84 miles in the 24 hours if I had to do that. (laughs) My diaphragm couldn't keep up with my ambition. (laughs) There's something else pretty remarkable that you've done in just the time period that I've known you. And I think that's what, maybe going back like seven, eight years, something like that is when we first met. Yeah, you, you've you been in a couple commercials oh, for a little company a few people have heard about. Yeah. Well, so Anita and I met at Apple probably seven years ago or so. And it was my very first trip there. Been back most every year since, really. And I have a picture I was just looking at, I have, that Todd took as a selfie that we're all in for the great show. Oh man, I would love that. I'll make sure and message it to you after. It was in 2017 that I got asked to do a switch control commercial. And definitely, again, nothing I would have thought in those dark times that ever would have came along. But to be tapped by Apple to do a commercial on switch control was really neat. This big camera crew shows up with all these individuals and we're going to all these neat places around the peninsula that just have beautiful views to get really cool shots. And I got to show off the power of some of Apple's accessibility features on the big screen. After it went on its online journey, it then left and they asked if they could put it on television. And it turned out it aired at the NBA finals and the NHL finals that year. And it was really funny to be getting phone calls from, you know, around the nation of people saying, I just saw you. I just saw you on TV. My dad, a big hockey and basketball fan, was was really thrilled because I couldn't tell anybody, of course, that it was coming. But when when he saw it, it, it was the phone was ringing like crazy, and yeah, that was really neat. Again, in 2019, I got to do another commercial, and this one much more important to me because I got to introduce voice control. And switch control is amazing, and it's a valuable tool that I use all the time. But voice control is is now the industry standard for people with my level of mobility, with no arm function, to utilize a phone. I mean, with any other option, you're having to buy thousands of dollars, at least hundreds of dollars of other assistive devices just to utilize the feature. And with Apple's voice control, it comes with the phone and or the iPad or the Mac or whatever, and you can just go. Software that does this is in the hundreds of dollars range, and it's just awesome that Apple's including it in all of their operating systems. And that I got to announce it on a national stage was really special. And that's definitely that is really special. one of the, the bigger feathers in my cap. Interestingly, making a relationship with those film crews led to a documentary being made on my world record. Yeah, we just wow. built really good relationships. And I mean, of course, the quality is amazing. Anything that Apple does is exceptional. And these guys were, you know, kindred spirits. And we got along so well. And here we were years later, reconnecting. We've been filming for the past 18 months or so. A neat documentary. Not sure when that'll be out, wow. but excited to share that with the world too. For folks who aren't familiar with switch control or voice control, can you briefly describe what those features are and what they do with the tech? 
Sure. So switching is a little more complicated to explain, but let's say that you're on a home screen of a phone and there's one app kind of right in the middle that you want to select. The way switch control works is it very basically narrows the selection. So maybe it'll start with a box that selects the entire screen and you can click a select button, right? I have two switches that are attached to my sip and puff that I could click. And so when I select that whole box, it then narrows down to maybe one row. Okay, so now I've got one row selected of your applications on your phone. I can then further narrowing that selection by hitting select again. And so now I'm able to toggle between apps in that row. So that's basically how it works, right? I only use two switches, one to move to next and one to select. And so with just those two switches, I can fully interact with with my phone. And it's really handy. But voice control is even more handy and very intuitive because now you're able to just say, you know, open messages and you can just dictate out whatever you're wanting to say. Or you can actually open up a grid and so you can click anywhere on a screen. You can even use it to like to play. I've played Super Mario Brothers with voice control. It's very cool, but they both have limitations. You can only move as fast as switches will allow. And voice, if you're in a windy area or maybe a loud pub or something, it's it's not going to work well. So using them together is perfect and they're very complimentary. I remember the reason that you and I first became acquainted was because Todd had made this video when he was talking about some of the, I think there was a specific assistive feature. I can't remember which one at the time and I can't even remember which iOS it was. Maybe iOS 7? Yeah, it was iOS 7. Yeah. It was switch control. That's what we were talking about. Before that, my only option to a phone was a BlackBerry. And I had to have this silly earpiece with a wire that ran down to the phone. The wire pulled it off my ear all the time. And the only two features I could really do was like find out how much battery I had left and how much perception there was. I couldn't answer a call. I could make a call if I had to, but um, just extremely limited on what was possible. And when that iOS 7 came and we had access to an entire phone, that's what allowed me to start getting outside. That's what allowed me to explore. And I had the confidence in that phone that I could always reach a caregiver or family member. Am I remembering correctly that there was some story about going exploring like in the backyard or something like that and losing control of the wheelchair? All right. Okay. So it wasn't in the backyard, but no, I was riding home probably 10 miles from a local concert one evening, one night and it was actually after dark and I was going down there was a hill I was going down and it was a little too steep and my tilt mechanism wasn't working at the time and so I couldn't tilt my chair back Yikes! and ultimately ended up flipping flipping the chair and ended up over on my side and actually broke my leg in the process had no idea I couldn't feel anything no to be honest it was kind of a a serene experience it was the first time I'd felt the grass on my face in like eight years I mean, it it wasn't good to be flipped over on the side of the trail. But what happened was I flipped over and I um, was on my side and the phone was on the side that was on the ground. And I couldn't see the phone, but, you know, I can always use the the command. I'm going to say it. So it's, hey, Siri. Sorry, my whole house is going to light up now. But every time I'd say that, it would, I'm sorry, there's no service, right? It couldn't call out. And so I had no way to call home. And so I just laid there and it was really quiet. I laid there for like an hour 
and uh, my family could track me. They knew where I was, but I often will sit on the trail and just be on the phone, and they don't want to <laughs> disturb me. They want to let me be a grown-ass man out there. But eventually, a couple cyclists came along, and I'm like, little help, little help over here. <laughs> and, and they were basically able to get me upright, and uh, then I was able to call for help, and, you know, family was able to come get me. But no, it was an unfortunate experience, especially the broken leg. But yeah, it was also, I think, a recognition that things are going to happen. And I'm fortunate of an amazing trail community that's very supportive and will help me if I'm in a pinch. But also, it's not the end of the world if something bad happens. I can keep moving forward. And it's not worth not going out and living my life because of fear of things like that. I think it probably gave me confidence down the road to keep moving forward. How did you turn limitation into perceived limitation into no limits? You know, how I did that, I'm not positive. I I know that limitation started when I was uh, in that dark space watching those Andy Griffith show and I Love Lucy. And what brought me to less limitation was, of course, seeing others kicking ass. They're really living and doing well. And once I had no limits or where I got to no limits was when I said, it's okay to fail. Okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to try. I'm going to do whatever I can. I'm going to have a harebrained idea and we're going to see if we can do it. If we don't, we don't. I think it was accepting that things may not go the way they're planned, right? And that you, you just have to have to power through and you know, you're not going <sighs> to be able to get to the life you want if you're not willing to take a little bit of risk. Since the accident, what's changed and what's the same about your sense of self? We identify as physical beings and I've probably reestablished that a bit. I'm still a physical being in a way, but I certainly realize that's not nearly as important. And I think that I never would have recognized the value of community to the level that I have without the injury. To see people really come together to help someone achieve a goal, that is phenomenal. And to see that love, to see the rewards to everyone involved when something is completed, it's what gives me the energy to keep going. And knowing that people want to help, I think that was really hard for me to do in the beginning was just to ask for help. But People love to support. People love to help when needed, and they love to be asked. And I never would have come to that realization without paralysis. And none of us are an island. I mean, I should have recognized that in the beginning. And it's good. It's good to ask for help when needed. It is. That's something that I continue to struggle with my own self. Quick pause for a good cause. Over my creative career, I've helped some of the most influential people and brands on the planet express who they are and what they do. And too often, for too many people, that's harder than it should be. Because of imposter syndrome. Because people don't know where to start or what to include. Because how you present yourself to the world matters. And that's a lot of pressure. In my Build a Bio course, I'm here to remind you how amazing you are while helping you learn to think like a writer so you can confidently, authentically, and powerfully express yourself when it matters most. Visit causeeffectcreative.com slash bio or check out the show notes to learn more. You are alive today for a reason. What is that reason? I can't just say modern medicine. (laughs) (laughs) That's a funny way to answer, yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, what is my purpose? Why am I here? And those are the big questions. And 
I hate to ever use like the inspiration word. I hate it. But I think one thing that I'm really good at is I like connecting with uh, others that have paralysis and others with similar interests. And I am somewhat of a leader and I feel like I am really good at community building. And I think that is my purpose, to introduce others into uh, the mind frame of going a little further, of pushing yourself just a little more. And I think particularly I'm more about the outdoor space, but that's my job. That's my purpose, to help build community and to help people recognize their value and that it's okay to ask for help and reach out to others. What high-voltage ambitions or vision do you have on the horizon? We have Sea to Sound coming up just at the end of next month, and I'm real excited about that. But the next ambitious task starts on September 20th, and I will be going to Washington, D.C., and I'll be riding the Great American Rail Trail, which travels the entire length of our country. And it's not quite completed, but the first 500 miles from D.C. to Ohio currently are, and at least... Two of my cycling friends will be attempting that about 40 miles a day, but this is mainly all dirt trail, and I get to go through the Great Allegheny Passage, 150 miles of just historic route, but there's long sections where there's no vehicle access, and that does start to get a little scary for someone who's traked and paralyzed from the neck down. Again, I've got an amazing crew, amazing support system around me, and If they're going to have to push a chair five miles to get me to the closest access point, that's what we'll have to do. But we're going to tackle it. We're going to see how we do. And I'm I'm real excited to get out there. But I'm nervous as well because it's ambitious. It's a lot of miles and unknown terrain. Yeah. Is there a way for listeners to support you on that ride or to follow you on that ride? So again, our social media channels, you can find us on those. And you can always just keep an eye on iansride.com. Definitely all of the rides that we do, including the Guinness World Record and like the Sea to Sound, you can go to our website. We blog daily for those long rides and it's fun just to hear about the experiences that we have out there. So yeah, follow us along there, but also all the major social media channels, you'll be able to track us down there. And we do constant updates throughout the days of the entire ride. If the Ian today could go back and give one piece of wisdom to the Ian then, what would it be? It would be, it's okay to ask for help. It would be, no doubt about it, that you are not alone and look to others for the support and the motivation that you need to move forward. I was silent for the first year after I was injured. I was ventilated and it was hard to speak, but I could have spoke, but I didn't. And that was to my detriment. And it's so important to realize that none of us are alone out there. And it's so important to ask for help when needed. Ian, I can't thank you enough for such a rich, meaningful conversation and didn't really get too far into what gifts you had that may have been latent or became amplified because of such extreme circumstances, you know, such a powerful thunder story. But one that I see and experience in you is just like a lived embodiment of hope. It radiates from you and I feel it. And I know everyone listening is going to feel it too. And I'm so grateful for you bringing that and yourself to this conversation and to everything that you do. The world is a better place because you're in it. So thank you for chatting with me today. Well, thank you. 
It's been really nice to chat with you. It's been way too long, Anita. And I look forward to having you back on again sometime soon. This is not going to be the last conversation with Ian Mackay. All right. All right. Before we wrap today's show, here's a very topical contribution from one of our listeners. Hello, Anita. It's Martin Sibley here. Big respect and so much love for your podcast and all your projects that you're doing at the moment. As you know, because we've spoke a couple of times over the years, but for all the listeners, I have been on a very epic journey for disability inclusion in the world. I have a disability. I'm a wheelchair user and rely on full-time care for all of my physical needs. And it's been fascinating how as I've embraced my call to help raise awareness of what disabled people experience the good the bad and the ugly and trying to educate the world to change the structures that need to be changed and the processes that need to be changed i've been through many dark alleyways and had to slay many dragons on a more personal level and really just the last year has probably been my biggest challenge yet where i started to actually have real true success in my work and career both in the impact that I create but also in a more business and personal finance way. It seemed quite elusive for a decade and things suddenly shifted a couple of years ago and through unlocking the true potential of myself and the ability to make the world more inclusive I ended up stumbling into something that I never would have imagined. And that was around what I could describe as toxic masculinity. And by that, I mean that I had been so in my head around the acquisition of knowledge and strategy and to have some semblance of control in the world, both personally and within all the projects I've been running. I basically forgot to use my intuition and to be more integrated and embodied. And I've been on a really fascinating journey the last year to rediscover that part of me. And I think because I am a wheelchair user, not only does the world tell us the importance of our IQ and our mind and our knowledge, but I was always particularly feeling like because I can't walk and probably would never walk, that there's that weakness in my body but even more inference and importance on my mind. And in actually balancing out that masculine and feminine energy in myself and being more in my body once again, I'm on an adventure that I never thought I would be on, having done lots of external adventures with travels and business and so on. So um, yeah, I just wanted to share that little insight with you and the listeners. I hope that makes sense. Some of it I'm still going through and processing myself at the moment, but I feel like it will resonate with some people in in one way or another. And again, thanks for all you do for bringing this amazing podcast to the world. All right, see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Hyperactive Imagination. If what you've heard lights you up, please subscribe, share, rate, and review. Your energy helps our show grow and go. Our original theme music is by Landon Sears and was made possible by Songfinch. A special thanks goes to my producers Julie Fink, Megan Pentis, and Norberto Mentana. 
I want you to be a hyperactivated part of our show, too. If you have ideas, stories, poems, or more you'd like to contribute to the show, please record a message on our pod inbox hotline. Go to hyperactiveimagination.com and tap the floating red button that says leave a message. And while you're there, sign up to get news and updates from the Anitaverse. If you're socially inclined, you can keep up with my life behind the show by following at Anita Visions on TikTok, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Until next time, the spark inside me is sending the spark inside you a whole bunch of oxygen.